Thank you for listening to this teaching from Table Church in Des Moines, Iowa. We are in a series called Seven Questions Jesus Asked. Jesus understood that sometimes he could say more with a simple question than with a thousand other words. His questions are known for their ability to pierce through our intentions and get to the heart of the matter. In this series, we are exploring seven questions that he asked people 2,000 years ago, but are just as relevant for us today. And as always, please be sure to check us out at tablechurchdsm.org. Thank you for listening. All right, before we get going, first I'll just let you know you can turn to Mark chapter 15. That's where we'll be looking today. Mark 15, 27 to 37. If you don't have a Bible and you want to read along, raise your hand. They'll bring you one. If you don't own a Bible, you can keep the one that they hand you. It's our gift to you. Before we read the passage, I want you to know that next Sunday we have a church picnic coming up. It's going to be at Greenwood Park. Um, the upper part, kind of, it's like right by Bergman School, if you know where that is. Um, we've got a shelter reserved there. There's a playground nearby. Um, we're going to have, you, you need to bring your own lunch, your own chair, uh, but we're going to have some extra treats and we're going to have some extra activities to do. It's a big deal because we're going to be commemorating our four-year birthday as a church. And so you should definitely come. I cannot believe it's been four years um, but it's been a joy and a privilege to be able to lead and pastor this church. And so I want to personally thank all of you for making my dreams come true for the last four years. Please come celebrate what God has done right after church next Sunday. Here we go. Mark chapter 15, verses 27 to 37. It says this, they crucified two rebels with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, So you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, come down from the cross and save yourself. In the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law mocked him among themselves. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. Let this Messiah, this King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those crucified with him also heaped insults on him. At noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lima sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing near heard this, they said, listen, he's calling Elijah. Someone ran, filled a sponge with wine vinegar, put it on a staff and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down, he said. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. So today we're continuing a series called Seven Questions Jesus Asked. And today's question is a different question. It's a different kind of question from the others that we'll be asking in this series. Because all the other questions that Jesus asked are questions that he would ask to a person, to another human. Today's question is a question that Jesus asks God the Father. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me, he says. Now, I want you to know, I'm going to be drawing from a sermon that I have previously preached. I preached it on Good Friday this past year. Uh, but it was a sermon that I know for many of you was, was very meaningful. And so uh, hopefully it's, uh, it's okay for us to repeat some of this material. I think it's very appropriate given the question we're looking at here. The Gospels tell us that Jesus died at about 3 o'clock in the afternoon on a Friday afternoon 2,000 years ago. 
And at this point, he had been hanging on a cross for hours, and um, his body had grown weaker, and he died not necessarily from blood loss, but from what I've read, most likely from asphyxiation, from suffocation. He simply lost the strength to pull himself up in order to fill his lungs with air. But apparently before he had lost that ability to breathe, he gathered up enough strength to push himself up, fill his lungs with air, and unleash one final cry. Now the Greek word can mean more than just a cry or even a shout. It can mean a scream. Eloi, Eloi, lema sabachthani, he says. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Today, I want to ask exactly what's going on in that moment between Jesus and God the Father that he would ask such a question. Because the way that we understand this moment, I believe, has big implications for how we understand God and how we'll view him in times of our own suffering and pain. It's become very common to think that Jesus' question here tells us that the Father had abandoned the Son on the cross. And perhaps if you've grown up in the church, um, I know this is true for me, it could be that this is something that you've been taught and maybe you've just implicitly assumed and it's not hard to see why. I mean, he says, why have you forsaken me? So it's easy to assume that the Father has abandoned Jesus in this moment. Furthermore, this this short prayer that Jesus cries out has become known as what we call the cry of dereliction. Now, if you look up the word derelict in the dictionary, here's what you'll find. It says, in a very poor condition as a result of misuse or neglect. So the car that I drive would be considered derelict. And I used to think I could just hide behind my kids and say, it's because I have kids. But let's be honest, it was that way before I had kids too. A number of popular worship songs or hymns, we see this message. Jesus was derelict, which means he was neglected. By whom? Well, presumably by the Father. I mean, one popular modern hymn says, the Father turned his face away. There it is again. God the Father abandoned Jesus on the cross. Now, now, when we ask why this would happen, why would the Father abandon the Son, uh, the answer is often something to the effect of, well, Jesus took all of our sin upon him, and since God is holy, he had to sever the connection because the holiness of God cannot stand the presence of sin. So there you have it. On Calvary, the Holy Father abandons the wretched Son. Today, I want to challenge that idea. I want to argue that no, the Father did not abandon the Son on the cross. And I want to argue that God's holiness does not cause him to be repelled by our sin, but rather, in his loving holiness, holiness, God pursues us even in our sin. Now, the first thing we need to know in order to understand this is that when Jesus cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's quoting the Old Testament. Specifically, he's quoting the first line of Psalm 22, which says this, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? 
My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer by night, but I find no rest. Now, naturally, we should ask ourselves, why did Jesus choose to quote this particular psalm just before he dies? Now, anytime you read an Old Testament quotation in the New Testament, I promise you it's not a coincidence. They're trying to tell us something. We're supposed to make that connection. All right? So it's not just a coincidence. Jesus didn't just happen to say the first line of Psalm 22 verbatim while on the cross. That's not a coincidence. We're supposed to look deeper into this. In Jesus' day, they had the Old Testament just like we do, but, and they read the Psalms just like we read them, but they didn't have chapters and verses like we do. And so today, if you want to reference one of the Psalms, well, you would reference it by the number that we've assigned to it. But the original writers of the Psalms didn't say, I'm now writing Psalm 23. That's not what they did. So back in Jesus' day, what they would do is they would simply recite the first line of the Psalm. They didn't have numbers. So if they wanted to reference a Psalm, they just recite the first line of it. Um, so, you know, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. For us, okay, Psalm 23, got it. Now, what's important for us to realize is that when somebody does this, they are referring to the entire psalm. They're, they're not just talking about the first line. They're referencing the whole psalm. Just like when I say Psalm 23, I'm talking about the whole psalm. If you've ever attended a Catholic church, uh, we just prayed what we usually call the Lord's Prayer today. In a Catholic church, they'll call it the Our Father. They're just referencing it. They're, they're just calling it the first two words of the, of the prayer, but they're talking about the whole prayer. When they say, let's pray the Our Father, they're not like, Our Father, amen. Like they're, they're praying the whole thing, right? What this means is that when we read Jesus' words from the cross, we should go back to Psalm 22 and we should read not just the first line, we should read the whole thing. And when we do that, what we find is that it is a song of pain, but also a song of hope. The writer feels abandoned by God. There is deep distress there are many parallels to Jesus' suffering on the cross. In fact, look at verses 17 and 18. It says, Dogs surround me. A pack of villains encircles me. They pierce my hands and my feet. This is before crucifixion existed, by the way. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. By the way, Matthew chapter 27 says they actually did cast lots for Jesus' clothes when he was crucified. And so it's really obvious here that Mark wants us to interpret the crucifixion event through the lens of Psalm 22. Okay? But look what else it says. Verses 22 to 24 says, All you descendants of Jacob, honor him. Revere him, all you descendants of Israel, for he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. Listen, he has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. Wow. That's not the message of abandonment. The father turning his face away. In fact, it explicitly says the opposite. This is not the understanding of Calvary that I think many of us have assumed. The rest of the psalm never again becomes a lament. It is a hymn of praise from this point on, declaring God's victory over evil 
and injustice. And what this means is that a Jewish person standing at the foot of the cross on Good Friday, hearing Jesus' cry would likely summon not just the first line of Psalm 22, but the, perhaps they know it by heart. They would invoke all of Psalm 22, and that would bring a mixture of emotions. There would be anguish and pain, but also a glimmer of hope. And so if you hear nothing else this morning, I want you to hear this. My God, why have you forsaken me is a cry of pain, but not a cry of hopelessness. It was true when Jesus prayed it. It's true when we pray it as well. Listen, this is the only prayer that Jesus prays that does not begin with the word Father in all the Gospels. This is the only one that doesn't start with the word Father. And you know, I think it could mean that while Jesus was feeling forsaken by the Father, he knew he could still say, my God. It means that feeling forsaken is not the same as actually being forsaken. The pain is real, but so is the hope. And just as the Father did not forsake the Son, neither does he forsake you. Listen, the Trinity was not severed on Good Friday. I don't even know how that would metaphysically be tenable for an eternal God to be broken into parts. The Father did not abandon the Son. Instead, we find something quite the opposite to be true. Listen, even in a moment of torture, communion with the Father was not destroyed. And that's a word for us today. We can fully affirm that when we see Jesus nailed to a cross, we see God nailed to a cross. Now, I believe that one of the clearest signs of what our theology is is not in the creeds that we recite or the doctrinal statements that we sign I think probably the, the biggest tell of our theology is in our prayer, in the way that we pray. So for example, if you only ever prayer, uh, pray proper buttoned up prayers, you know, that might be a sign that you have a belief that God only listens if it's perfect. If you rarely ever pray, that probably reveal, reveals like an implicit belief that God is distant and uninvolved. And what we learn here is that our prayers should be honest about the agony, but no matter the darkness, no matter the affliction, our prayers can still have hope because God has not turned away. And God will win in the end. It means that your own cries of forsakenness can still carry hope. Jesus was not abandoned, and neither are you. Now, Psalm 22 is one of my favorite psalms because it, it's shaped like Easter weekend. It begins in agony, but it ends in triumph. And the hope that we cling to as Christians is that that's the shape of, of reality as well. That even when things are hard and we're in this weird, dark space, we know that there is Easter coming, that there is a resolution coming and that God's promises will win in the end one way or another, whether I can see it or not. We have an eternal hope. Ancient cultures saw history as cyclical, kind of a circle, repeating itself. But God's people, ancient Israel, they introduced a revolutionary new idea into human thought. They saw history as a line that had a beginning in creation, that had a culmination in new creation. 
that God has purposes that he's unveiling throughout and that it is going to end in a good way, that history is headed somewhere by God's plan. But there's this messed up kind of middle space where we can't always see what's going on and we don't always have the ability to make sense of what's going on. Good Friday is that middle space. It's where we're, we're not certain how it's gonna end, but we have to hold on to the hope that God's promises will win in the end. And so my advice to you, if you're stuck on that confusing middle space today, my advice is to do what Jesus did, to scream your prayers and to acknowledge the pain, to ask God the hard questions but to always leave space for hope. Because whether it's in this life or the next, we will one day look back on that messed up middle space and we'll say what I thought was the end was actually just Good Friday and Easter always comes. Jesus' question here is so important because it reminds us that even when we're in pain, we are not hopeless. There's a woman that many of you know who, who has gotten connected with Table Church and we've had the privilege of uh, being a team for her, uh, just kind of being a support network for her throughout the, the last few months, throughout the summer. Her name is Beatrice, and I asked Beatrice if I could share a little bit of her story today, and she was happy to let me do it. Uh, Beatrice has had a hard life. She came to the States as a refugee from Liberia, and um, she's been here for a while, and she's had ups and downs, but lately there's been a lot of downs, and one of the things that happened was through a some circumstances, she ended up losing her physical copy of her green card. Now, I want you to know that it doesn't matter uh, if you're actually legal or if you have documents that say you have a green card or if you have a picture of your green card, if you don't have the actual green card. It's very, very complicated. <laughs> Things get very difficult for you. And we have found this out uh, helping Beatrice over the last few months. Um, and I remember there's just one step back after another as we're trying to find an apartment, find a job, all these sorts of things, get, get a driver's license, like one step back after another. And at one point, Beatrice sent me a text and, and it was this prayer, essentially. She was like, Pastor, I don't understand why is this happening to me? Things that weren't even her fault were coming back to haunt her. Why is this happening to me? And I didn't really know what to say. There was times where Beatrice was crying in my car we go to try to get a driver's license. Sorry, you have to have the physical copy of your green card. You can't even take the test. Well, how's she going to get around? How's she going to get to work? Sorry. Why is this happening to me, Pastor? Well, you know, Beatrice may have felt hopeless, but she wasn't without hope. And um, it's interesting. I, I, I don't know how many churches in the metro would have been equipped to help somebody in her position get her green card replacement. But I'm guessing the number is less than two. And God happened to connect her with Table Church. And so Taryn and Natalie, who are walking through the immigrant connection legal process right now, knew what to do, and they were able to help her do it. And um, you know something kind of cool? A couple weeks ago, we moved Beatrice into her new apartment she got hired on an Amazon and her green card came in the mail all within one weekend. <laughs> Sometimes when things turn around, they turn around quick. Now, by the way, not out of the woods, plenty of other roadblocks going on and plenty of other things uh, for Beatrice to work through, but 
uh, she's working hard, and I think that I think that God is answering our prayers. I really do. She starts her job at Amazon today. My point in sharing that is simply this. We often have pain, but we are never without hope. Most of the questions that Jesus asked, as we said earlier, they were directed at people like you and me. But this is the one question where we get to ask it with Jesus. Where we get to stand shoulder to shoulder with Jesus and say, God, why? All of us know what it's like to ask God why, and I know uh, that we don't always get the straightforward answer we want, but you know something, that's how almost everybody in the Bible had it as well. Like, even in the Gospels, Jesus rarely gives a straightforward answer when people ask him the question. And all throughout the Bible, when people ask God a question, the answer is rarely straightforward. Just ask Job. Like, he's, he didn't get straightforward. He got an answer, but it wasn't exactly what he was looking for. But I think it helps a little bit to know that Jesus asked why. Because it reminds us that not only are we not alone in asking the question, it reminds us there's always hope. Now, in this series, it'll be pretty, probably customary for me to get to the end of the sermon and to turn the question upon us and say, okay, so how do you answer Jesus's question today? Last week, we said, do you want to get well? And we found out that Getting well isn't always what we actually want as much as we say it is. Do you want to get well? Today, I don't ask the question of you. Today, I ask you to ask God the question. What is your why God today? And here's what I'd love for you to do. I'd love for you to write it down. Write it on your connection card if you want and, and let us know what your why God is right now. And if you do that, I promise, we will pray it with you. Because remember, when you write it down, you're not just writing a question, you're writing a prayer. That's what this is. It is a prayer. You're talking to the God of the universe. And so the second stage of this, of my ask to you, is to pray this every day. Take a month. Let's take a month and just pray this question every day. When we got back from Zambia, our team leader, Taryn, she challenged us to do this same thing. She said, hey, what's heavy in your life? Pray about it every day for a month and then let's get, let's get together as a team and, and see what God did. By the way, Beatrice is what I was praying for. One of the two things that I was praying for was Beatrice. And God, God brought breakthrough in both of those things as I prayed over the course of the month, even when there was times where I thought there's, there's no hope here. There's no hope here. And so when you get to the end of the month, you can pause and ask yourself, okay, did God give me an answer? Or did God change my perspective somewhat? What happened in this month, does it give you hope? So let's just experiment a little bit in prayer over the next month. Let's see what God does through our honest questions. And so today as we close, as we sing this last song, um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna ask you to maybe even in this moment, Pray it out loud as we sing. Say, God, why would you let this happen? Or whatever it is. Maybe you need to pray it out loud. Maybe you need to write it down and just stand there and pray it to God in these moments together. I'll come down front. Maybe you just need someone to pray with. I know we've already done the come down front and pray thing. We'll do it again. We can do it twice. There's no law against that. I'll be down front. Prayer team, you can come too if you want. But I'll be there. Let's just like, 
I, might, I hope someday we just have like a prayer mosh pit down here, you know? That's what I want. And so ask your why, God. If you want prayer, come, come down for it. If you need to write it down, if you just need to say it out loud today, that's cool. Whatever the case, bring it to God and remember that even though you're in pain, you're not without hope. That is our faith. Let's pray. God, today some of us come to you and ask why. We don't get it. Lord, you know what we need. Maybe what we need is not an answer, but what we need is an assurance that you're there. So would you, would you give that too? Lord, for the heavy burdens that we're carrying, that many of us are carrying, that the unanswerable questions that many of us are asking and the impossible circumstances that many of us are facing, uh, Lord, we just pray your grace into all of it. We insert your presence into all of it. And we just claim uh, your sovereignty over it all as well. We love you. We pray all these things in the strong name of Jesus Christ. Amen.